0: Jeremiah 17, I'll begin reading in verse 5, and we'll read the even-numbered verses together. Beginning in verse 6, and then alternate my reading and your reading down through verse number 12. The Bible says, beginning in verse 5, Jeremiah 17, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Together, verse 6, For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit." The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. And the partridge sitteth on eggs, and hatcheth them not. So he that getteth riches, and not by right, shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool." A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6. Look with me at verse number 21. Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to read verse 21. We'll read this together. Okay, here we go. Ready? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, we're in a series of sermons we began last week entitled Money Matters, Money Matters. And we looked at dealing with debt last week. Uh, Many of you cringed when you saw what what was getting preached on. I hope it was a help to you. We'll recap that here in just a moment. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to this title, It's All About Your Heart. It's All About Your Heart. I can stand up here. And I can beat you over the head with the Bible. I can promote um, promises in the Bible. If your heart's not in it, then none of it matters. Where is your heart on this topic? So we're going to look at Jeremiah 17 and see some financial things there, make some applications, and uh, we're going to um, deal not so much with money today. We will a little bit at the beginning of the sermon. And we will at the end of the sermon, but most of the sermon today is going to be dealing with the heart of the matter. So let's pray this morning as we jump into the scriptures and see what God has in store for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to have an open heart to what it says. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves this morning. Help us to see where our heart has deceived us, where our heart is acting out of desperation, where our heart is bringing about destruction in our life. Lord, help us to see these things and make changes accordingly. Lord, today may we analyze and figure out whether or not you have our heart or something or someone else has our heart. Lord, help us to give our heart wholly to you. Be with us this morning, Lord. Speak to each one of us individually as needed. Spirit of God, move in and out of the rows here this morning and work with each one accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as I said just a moment ago last Sunday... We, uh, we began a series of sermons about money. We began by looking at the topic, dealing with debt, dealing with debt. Now, most of you were here, before a few of you that weren't, I'll summarize the sermon in just a couple of paragraphs here. Uh, the the uh, whole concept of the sermon last week was that we all owe a great debt because of our sin, and God stepped in in our brokenness, in our moral debt, and he paid that debt with the life of of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The moment that you got saved, your debt was paid, and you were bought from the master of sin and Satan, and you were handed over to the master of God the Father in heaven. Now, God did not rapture you. He did not take you straight to heaven when you got saved. In fact, He left you here for a very specific work and a very specific purpose. In fact, Ephesians Chapter number 2 in verse 10 says, For we, this is speaking of those who are born anew in Christ, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them so you got saved and God adopted you into his family he became your master and you now owe him because he paid the debt of your sin God is called for you to give your entire life your entire being to him in fact the two greatest commandments is to love God with all of your heart your soul your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself why because God's heart is for us to love our neighbor. One of the ways which we love God is by loving our neighbor. If you're not loving your neighbor, then you don't love God. If you have a brother or sister in Christ and there's aught between you and them and it's your fault that there's aught between you and them and you won't settle that, you won't fix it, then my friend, you don't love God as you ought to. There's a breakdown there. And so we're to love God with all our heart. We're to love our neighbor as And listen, here was the thrust of the message. God left you here to do a work. His work on earth. You are created in Him. You are created a new creature. You're created anew in Christ. And He has a specific purpose for your life. Money is nothing more than a tool to get you through life so that you can do the work of God within the will of God. Many Christians treat money as the be-all, end-all, where money is nothing more than a tool so that I can accomplish God's set plan for my life. I think of Jeremiah the prophet and God told him, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What does that tell us? That tells us that before Jeremiah was even a twinkle in his mother's eye, and my friend, before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, God knew you would be born. And God knew exactly what the purpose of your life would be. He knew the day that you would get saved if you're saved. And he knew exactly what he had in store for your life. The question this morning is, are you pursuing God's plan for your life, or are you pursuing your plan for your life? We get hung up. We get hung up with debt. And we forget the greatest debt we owe is to God in heaven. And we get hung up on debt and we owe all this money to all these creditors. And uh, we have all of this bad debt that we've accrued because we live a covetous lifestyle and we don't live with a content lifestyle. And our, our, our spending, our outgo exceeds our income. And now we can't be in church on Sunday because we've got to work to pay off our credit card. Uh, we, we can't, we can't uh, go out and go uh, invite people to church or be involved in the gospel ministry. Why? Because we have to work and our time and energy is devoted to paying off our wants instead of just trusting God for our needs. And so how do we deal with debt? Well, we find deliverance in contentment. That was the whole thrust of the sermon last week. Covetousness always leads us into debt. Always. Now, if you're in debt this morning, that does not necessarily mean you're a covetous person. It may mean that, boy, God's really put you through a trial and you've had to lean on credit just to cover your your basic necessities. And that happens. That's happened to me in my life before. But can I just tell you that if you are covetous, you will end up in debt. You will end up in debt. And if you will learn to live a lifetime of contentment, then you will in time find yourself out of debt, out of debt, and only indebted to God, who loved us and saved us, and will give our heart and life to Him. Now, um, uh, this morning, we turn our attention to the heart of the matter, literally the heart of the matter. The truth is, and don't miss this, I can stand up here, and I can take you to Malachi chapter 3, and I can tell you that if you don't give to the Lord then you are robbing God. That's what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. I can get up here and I can guilt trip some of you down to the altar and make you feel real bad that you don't give more to the work of the Lord. I can stand up here. I can hold up the promises of God and... And I can tell you, boy, give to the Lord and here is what you will get if you give to the Lord. And I can, in a sense, to use the term loosely, try and bribe you into giving more toward the work of the Lord. But can I just say this morning, for me to take and go about that uh, avenue to accomplish um, uh, uh, that end goal is a waste of my time and a waste of your time. You see, the truth is, if it isn't in your heart to love God, then nothing I preach really matters. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who has your heart? You see, very early on when my children were small, we worked really hard to discipline them and love them because we wanted to have their heart, their heart. I don't want my children just to obey me because they feel threatened or they feel bribed. I want my children to obey me because they know I love them and they love me. Does God have your heart? Does God truly have your heart? Because if God has your heart, I won't need to preach a single sermon on giving ever. If God doesn't have your heart, then that's where uh, that's where uh, our money begins to be misplaced and mismanaged. And we begin to get ourselves in trouble because... The Bible says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You open up your pocketbook and show how you're spending your money and I will show you where your heart truly is. We must get to the heart of the matter. I believe that many Christians have not fully given their heart to Jesus. I know there are times when I've I've battled with this. But why would we... Think about this for a moment. Why would we not give our heart to Jesus? Did he not lay down his life to redeem us from our sins? John 15, Jesus told his disciples on his way to being arrested, he said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You ever had a stranger tell you they love you? You ever had a stranger just bump you on an arm and say, man, I love you? Maybe not a total stranger. Maybe you've spent, you know, a little bit of time around them, and they tell you, and you think, oh, come on, man. You don't even know me. How could you love me? There are some strangers that I know love me. You know who they are? There are wounded and fallen soldiers who've died on the battlefield. They may not know me specifically, but I know they love me because they gave the ultimate price in order to purchase my freedom as an American citizen. Now, I'm going to take that up a notch. These people are dying on my part, not knowing anything about me. Jesus went to the cross knowing every thought I had thunk, every wickedness I had done, knowing how wretched and horrible I was, and yet he still died for me. Romans 5 says we were the enemies of God. The enemies of God. Our sin was so wretched in the sight of God, it had made us into his enemy. And God looked down and said, I'm going to love my enemies by allowing my only son to die in their place. When I stop and I think about everything Jesus went through on the cross for me and how undeserving I really was, and I realize he gave his life for me, knowing everything he knows about me. Let me, let me put it in perspective for you. Are you. Looking up here this morning? If we were to take your thoughts from the last seven days and pull out the lowlights of the worst things that you have thought, and we were to put your name up here on this screen and put the lowlights, how many of you with me would say I'd be quite embarrassed over that? the rest of you i guess think real pure thoughts amen all the time <laughs> how many of you here think maybe you'd have some enemies after i got put up there how many here think that maybe people would want to distance from you a little bit god knows every thought you thunk, and he loves you anyway he knows everything you've done and he still sent jesus to the cross to become that in your place My question, my proposition to you this morning is real simple. You've taken advantage of his salvation. I would assume, I I know most of you here have. There may be a couple of folks in the room who have yet to give their heart to Jesus. I would encourage you to do that today, but I'm speaking to the saved this morning. You've taken advantage of that grace. You, you, You let him lay down his life on your behalf and buy the gift, and you accepted the gift how could you not give your heart to Jesus? That, that should be automatic. When a Christian gives his heart to Jesus, you don't need to tell that Christian to start doing this or stop doing that. You don't have to beat them over the head and say, quit listening to this music and quit wearing this and quit behaving this way. Because if their heart has been given to Jesus... Well, they're really quick to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. The question for you by way of introduction this morning is really simple. Does Jesus have your heart? I mean, does he have all of it? Throughout the message this morning, I hope to be able to help you answer that question. Okay, let's look at three thoughts this morning out of Jeremiah 17. I hope you put a marker in Matthew 6 because we'll be back there at the end of the message. We're going to be in Jeremiah 17 and a few other places. We're going to look at three thoughts as we continue our series, Money Matters. and we look at this topic, it's all about your heart. Number one, point number one, the problem with your heart. The problem with your heart. Okay, let's look at the most famous verse in Jeremiah 17, the one that pastors quote all the time. Look at verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Let me give you an A, B, and a C out of, of this verse. Notice letter A, a deceitful heart. A deceitful heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful, deceitful. Proverbs chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty-six says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Um uh, my my children probably want me to trust them a little more than I do. Can I tell you, I don't trust my kids. I don't trust them one iota because I know their heart is desperate and deceitful and wicked. You say, how, do you, how can you be so certain that their hearts are that way? Because I know their mama and I know myself and I know uh, where they get their genetics from. Amen? I know that I'm a sinner and I know that they got the sin gene from me. You say, you don't trust your kids? Absolutely not. I don't even trust myself. Why? Because my heart is deceitful. Disney princess movies. What do they tell us? Follow your heart, and you'll live happily ever after. There goes the prince and the princess riding out into the sunset, happily ever after. In the sequel, they get a divorce. Amen? (laughs) That's dark, Pastor. That's dark. When does following your heart ever, 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 ever end good? I can tell you I've met a lot of people who live a YOLO lifestyle. You only live once. If it feels good, do it. Go out and have a great time. And uh, uh, boy, uh, just just uh, live it up and, and have a great time. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow my gut. What's my gut tell me to do? And my heart is deceitful. My heart lies To me, my heart gets me to lie to others for the advancement of my own self-promotion and my own advancement through life. My heart is deceitful. My heart um, uh, is filled with lies. It's filled with painting things in a way that are going to best advance my own causes. I cannot trust my heart because my heart, like your heart, is deceitful. It lies. Let her be noticed. A. Desperate heart, a desperate heart. Look with me at Jeremiah 17, verse number nine. Again, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart is desperate. Look back up at Jeremiah 17 and verse five. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord, our heart is desperate. It's so desperate that instead of trusting in a God that we cannot see, instead of uh, trusting in a God uh, that is uh, uh, that would require faith and a strong faith in God for Him to carry me through, instead we turn to alliances. We turn to mankind to get us through. Uh, we we trust in God to help, or rather, in man to get us by. And the Bible says the reason why we do that is because our heart departs from the Lord and it turns. To man, why do we do that? Because when push comes to shove, and things aren't falling into place the way we want them to, in the way that uh, we have it drawn up and designed, then we turn to man, and we turn to our own abilities and our own alliances and our own friends in order to make it happen. We are desperate. We are desperate for acceptance. We are desperate for wealth. We are desperate for things. We are desperate for attention. We are desperate for promotion. We are desperate for pleasure. We are desperate for power. Your heart will tell you to turn to anyone and everyone other than God to help you get these things. Things. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with acceptance. There's nothing wrong with wealth and things and uh, attention and promotion and pleasure and power. There's nothing wrong with these things. But when we are willing, watch this now, when we're willing to break the laws of God in order to get them, that shows us how desperate our heart is and how far we will go in order to do it. A lot of boys and girls going up through high school right now are willing to declare themselves to be something that's sinful by putting a title on their name, whether it's bisexual or lesbian or gay. And somebody comes along and finds them and they're not accepted by the regular crowd. And some, uh, some evil person, uh, another teenager, slips in their life and says, well, you know what? I kind of like you. And uh, you know what? If you do this with me, I would accept you. And our heart is so desperate, we'll throw a tag or a title in front of our name in order to gain that acceptance why because our heart is a desperate heart kids all over the place lack a father in their life to love them so they turn to the streets and gangs and drugs in order to find that acceptance and that wealth and that power why because deep down inside all of our hearts our hearts will do that which is desperate it will walk all over the laws of god in order to get what we want when we want it our hearts are desperate our hearts our deceitful letter c notice our hearts our hearts are destructive a destructive heart look back at verse 9 the bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked wicked who can know it? Uh, what does wickedness lead to? Wickedness leads to destruction. Look at verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 17. The Bible says, For he, speaking of the man that trusteth in man and not God, speaking of the man whose heart is departed from the Lord, speaking of the man who is self-reliant on his own alliances, verse 6, For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not Inhabited. What happens to the man who follows his heart? What happens to the woman who follows her heart to get what he or she so desires? What happens to the man who desperately walks all over the laws of God and commits wickedness to get what he pleases? In a word, destruction. Destruction. You're willing to walk all over the laws of God in order to get acceptance and wealth and all of those things? My friend, you're going to bring destruction in your life. Jeremiah says that the person, this person will be like the heath or a shriveled up barren juniper bush in the desert. Be like a tumbleweed blowing through the desert. Jeremiah says that the person who follows their heart will dwell in a parched, dry, barren place in the wilderness. Those who desperately and wickedly seek acceptance will in the long run find loneliness. Those who desperately and wickedly seek wealth will in the long run find poverty. Those who desperately and wickedly seek happiness through things will in the long run find Misery. Those who desperately and wickedly seek attention uh, in the long run will find neglect. Those who desperately and wickedly seek promotion will in the long run find abasement and abandonment. Those who desperately and wickedly seek pleasure will in the long run find sorrow of heart. Those who desperately and wickedly seek power uh, in the long run will find brokenness. And uh, those who, uh, uh, those who, death and brokenness and death. James 1 tells us that lust brings sin and that sin brings death. Now watch this, watch this this morning. When God saved me, he saved me from a life of brokenness and he gave me liberty found through grace in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, most Christians abuse liberty and abuse grace god has given me this grace and i can go live how i want and you know what i call the shots and god's grace will keep me from having god's wrath rain down on me you're walking and trampling all over god's grace grace does not give me freedom to go live the way i want grace gives me freedom from the bondage of sin grace provides me freedom in christ so that i can live within the liberty of christ and know the blessings of christ God this morning is saying to you, do not follow your heart because your heart is deceitful. It will lie to you. Your heart is desperate. Uh, it, will, it, will, it will do anything necessary in order to get its way. Your heart is destructive. It will lead to a life of brokenness and ruin. You see, my friend, if God does not have your heart, then the question is, who has your heart? Or what has your heart? Because if anyone other than God has your heart, then, my friend, you are on a path of destruction. Number one, the problem with your heart. Let's look at number two. Number two, notice the protection of your heart. The protection of your heart. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs 4. Put a marker in Jeremiah 17. Proverbs 4, the day I got saved, the Holy Spirit of God moved into my heart, and boy, let me tell you, He inherited my mess. Talk about an inheriting a wreck. He walked into my heart and found the ultimate renovation project. How many of you here have ever bought a fixer upper Anybody here ever bought a fixer upper? Oh man I've seen some messed up fixer uppers. Um, I was doing home inspections at one point to pay the bills for the bank and there was a home uh, in the Pittsburgh area uh, and all of the, all of the, the, the windows in the house had been boarded up. I believe at some point there' had been a fire. And I had to go inside and take pictures in this home. And let me tell you, at some point, there had been a water leak in the house. And there was mold in the walls. And part of the floor had collapsed. And I'm in there blind. It's starting to get dark outside. and So even the front door being open and the back door being open, I'm not getting a whole lot of light in the house. And I've got every flashlight I can find turned on. And I'm walking through. And I'm looking at a house that is in utter destruction. In fact, that house needed to just be bulldozed and knocked down. Do you know that was about the condition morally your heart was in the day Jesus saved you? He walked in and he inherited a wreck, just like he did with me. Right? And the Holy Spirit moved into a total disaster area. That term, disaster area. I got that from my mom. She'd walk into my bedroom and say, this room is a disaster area. And I thought, what is a disaster area? I still don't really know what a disaster area is, other than the area was just a total disaster. Is that a like you know, a, a war term of a, you know, an area that's been bombed? I don't know. I guess my room looked like a bomb had gone off. How many the day you got saved, it looked like a bomb had gone off in your heart. There was all kinds of sin and baggage and, and problems. The Holy Spirit of God moves in, and you know what? He begins to say about your heart. He says, hey, that right there, it's got to go. Hey, that right there, it's got to go. Hey, you know, um, those shows on TV that you're watching, boy, that's just like sewage pouring into your heart. Maybe maybe not watch that anymore. Then God comes along and He says, you know, that music that glorifies sex, self, and sin, you shouldn't be listening to that either. It's not promoting me and my name. You know, let's get that out. And you know what really the key to the Christian life is? Watch this now. It's not about how good can I be. It's how much can I yield when the Spirit of God tells me that something needs to be added or subtracted from my life. You see, we all have pet sins. And we say, you know what, God? You can have all this. But this right here is mine. It isn't going anywhere. The Spirit of God says, okay. You're going to be quite limited. You're going to be quite limited. And you know what? I don't have all of your heart. Now, before I continue on with the message, I want to say two things. The first thing I want to say is this. The protection of your heart for some of you, this part of the sermon is going to be completely inapplicable. Because your heart is still... Disaster area. And you run roughshod over the Holy Spirit. Not only um, have you quenched the Holy Spirit of God, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because He tells you this, this, and this need to go, and you yawn and say, no, I don't think so. And so there's nothing to protect because your heart's still a mess. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Will you begin to yield your heart to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit has moved in and taken up residence and he's beginning to identify things that need to change, he's earned the right to tell you to change those things. I'm thankful you showed up to church today, but my friend, it's more, way more than just coming to church once a week. You see, James 1 tells us we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Watch this. It says, deceiving your own selves. Where's that deception? Well, I went into church, I punched my spiritual time clock, I did my you know, hour and change, and I'm going to go home, and you know what, I'm good. I'm good till next week. You are deceiving yourself, because you go and you go through the motions of being a good Christian, but you're not living practically what the Bible says. We okay this morning? Everybody okay this morning? So my challenge to you is, begin to make the changes that God's telling you to make. But how about for those of you here where you've made some progress? Are you protecting the progress that you've made? Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. First of all, look at Proverbs 4, verse 23. The Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Letter A, notice your fence. Your fence. Look back at 23. Keep. That word keep means to guard or to put a fence around. Um. If I lived in a rough part of town and I had bad guys walking all around my house and I had the capacity to put a fence up with barbed wire on the top or security measures on it, I would be foolish not to do that. If I don't want criminals sitting on my front porch, then I should put a fence up to move the criminals away from my front yard, my front door. And you know what, Christian, it's wise for you to put a fence up around your heart and to keep sin from being right at the front door of your heart, constantly pushing and pressing on your heart. Now, um, I, I think that Christians need to put some biblical fence posts down in order to protect their heart. What is a biblical fence post? It is a Bible principle. It's the Bible taken off of the pages of Scripture and put into practical action in your heart and life. Let me give you an example here. I will not ride alone in a car with a woman who isn't my wife. Will not do it. Some people roll their eyes and say, Oh, Pastor, oh, brother. Right? Mike Pence was made fun of because he wouldn't have dinner alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. Right? But Mike Pence has been married happily for decades. You know what, Mike Pence hasn't been married uh, happily for decades by accident. He's got some biblical fence posts in his life that are protecting his marriage. Right? You can roll your eyes at fence posts, but fence posts put a fence around our heart and keep us safe. Pastor, why won't you ride alone with a woman in a car that isn't your wife? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Watch this. If I'm never alone with a woman that's not my wife, then I can't commit adultery. You all with me this morning? It's pretty hard to commit adultery if I'm never alone with a woman that isn't my wife. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm careful about that. I'm very careful. I'm stringent on that. That's a hard, fast rule that no matter how inconvenient, I will not break it. I put a camera in my office so that if a woman comes in to see me, no matter who it is, there are plenty of people that I've access to glare down through that camera and see exactly what's going on in Pastor DeJern's office. I will not be alone with a woman that's not my wife. Hence, I will not commit adultery. That's a biblical fence post I put down in my heart a long time ago, and that principle makes all the decisions for me. Here's another one. Here's a um, biblical truth. Okay, we're talking about money. All right, Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, no man, anything. That's not my words, that's God's word. Amen? Oh, no man, anything. What's the fence post? Watch this. Never... Buy a want on credit. Don't do it. Don't buy want on credit. And by the way, learn how to define the difference between needs and wants. You may want a Big Mac from McDonald's. You don't need a Big Mac from McDonald's. And you definitely don't need Uber Eats to deliver it. Amen? Because that drives the price up like double, does it not? Amen? You say, oh, I just have to have. I love when my kids say that. I have to have. I say, Really? (laughs) You have to have it. (laughs) Um, No, you want it. You want it. Don't buy it on credit. If it's not something you absolutely need, don't buy it on credit. Oh, no, man, anything. You say, we have to have two vehicles. Do you really have to have two vehicles? Or is it just about what's convenient? Maybe if uh, you'd get up a little bit earlier in the morning and plan your day out, you could get by on one vehicle. Oh, Pastor, please don't go there. But, Pastor, I, I need a Mercedes. No. Drive a clunker, right? It's functional. Oh, no, man, anything. What's the biblical fence post? The biblical fence post is, I'm not going to buy a want on credit. I will not do it. I will not do it. Here's another one. We're talking about keeping our heart with all diligence. The biblical truth is, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thy increase. What's that mean? The biblical fence post is this. When I am paid, or I get money, I get gain, I'm going to set aside for the Lord first on payday before, uh, before paying or spending any other money. I'm not going to pay my bills and then see what I have left for the Lord. The Lord says, Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. By the way, verse 10 offers us a promise. So shall thy uh, barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. What's that mean? You give the Lord what's his first and God will make sure that you have an abundance uh, to take care of yourself. Uh, and so what's the biblical fence post? If I've got bills to pay, and I can't get all my bills paid. I'm going to give the Lord what's his first, and then I'm going to figure out how to pay the bills second. I think of the story of Elisha in the Old Testament where the woman had lost her husband, and she had no way of making income for herself, and she came to the prophet and said, my my husband was a man of God, and he died, and I have no way to take care of myself. And Elisha said, and she said, I owe all these debts. Elisha said, "Uh, go gather all the pots that you can and get that little cruise of oil, and I want you to take that little cruise of oil, and I want you to begin to pour it in the pot. And you know what? God took that little cruise of oil and he filled every pot she had and she was able to sell those pots and take the money and pay off all of her debts and have enough to take care of herself for the rest of her life. You know why? She gave the Lord what was his first and then God took care of her. Now, I don't just stand up here this morning saying this without experience. There have been times where I didn't know how I was going to pay all the bills. But on Sunday, we dropped our offering in the plate and you know what? Magically... God paid our bills. It's not happened once. It's happened over and over and over again. We're going to keep our heart with all diligence. There's got to be some biblical fence posts down. It would be a healthy exercise for you to go through the Bible and take the truths off of the pages of the Bible and implement those as fence posts in your life and wrap your heart in a fence. And when you make changes for the Lord, uh, be very careful to make sure you've constructed a fence to protect or guard or keep your heart. Letter B, notice your focus, your focus. Look back to me at Proverbs 4, verse 23. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, with all diligence, for out of it, are the issues of life. That means put the guard dogs out there and have them bark at every intruder that gets near the fence post. There's a pastor in Tennessee by the name of um, Clarence Sexton. He has a big church down that way. And when Clarence Sexton was a young man, he uh, took over the pastor of Temple Baptist Church They're right outside of Knoxville, and he uh, he came in on his first day on the job, and there was already a secretary there that was working, and he brought the secretary into his office, and he drew, he said, you see the front edge of my desk here? Let's pretend that this was the front edge of my desk or his desk. He said, you see the front edge of my desk here? He said to the secretary, he said, I want you to pretend that there's a line that continues from the front edge of my desk to the wall. And I want you to pretend on this side there's a front edge that runs to the wall. He said, under no circumstances ma'am are you allowed to cross that barrier. Do not Cross the barrier. You know what he was doing? He was putting down a fence post and letting everyone know where the fence post was. The secretary tells the story that uh, she was in his office about two months later and had completely forgotten that conversation. And she uh, was uh, giving him some papers and half of her body came across the front edge of that desk and he stood up and he said, Get out! Get out! Get out! You crossed the line! You crossed the line! You crossed the line! And she... She said, I never, ever, ever, ever came near the front edge of his desk ever again. (laughs) Keep thy heart with all diligence. With all diligence. You know, you need to make sure that you have an alarm system set in place. That when sin tries to creep in, sneak its way in, boy, right there, right then, you're going to make sure you get that thing fixed and set. You know, one thing I've learned about being a Christian over many years is that Satan is subtle. Satan is sly. Satan is stealthy. Satan is slippery. Satan will sneak right into your life the moment that you lose focus, and he will wreck your heart. I think about what Paul told the church of Galatia, in Galatians five seven. The churches in the region of Galatia, in Galatians five seven. He said, "Ye did run well." Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Many of you here this morning, you have some repairing to your fence to do. Um, I have a a fence that runs around the back of my uh, property, and it's a a wild game fence. We have nothing but woods behind our house. We live out in Beacon Falls, and um, there were fence posts that were driven down a while back, and we had a tree that fell on our fence, and it broke the fence uh, low enough to where our dog could hop over the fence And escape. And so for a while there, we would take Ginger out on a leash and only on a leash because every single time we didn't take her out on a leash, she would hop the fence and it would be. Uh, uh several minutes, sometimes over an hour before we could get her corralled and get her back into the yard. Recently I went back there and I was able to remove the fence from off that, um, uh, tree from off that fence and I was able to push the fence back up and able to re-secure a couple of the fence posts and when Ginger gets home uh, our dog gave birth uh, several weeks ago, it was a planned thing, but when she comes home from having given birth um, uh, she'll be able to run around the yard again. Why? Because the fence, that barrier of security has been fixed so Some of you this morning you have some mending of some spiritual fences in your life to do because you have sin flowing in your heart through those fences because you've lost focus. Are you protecting your heart this morning? Letter A, we see your fence. Letter B, we see your focus. Letter C, we see your fruit your fruit. Imagine that your heart is like a garden and you put a fence around that garden to keep the wild animals out and uh, you're focused in on the garden itself to pull the weeds up out of that garden or that orchard to make sure that the fruit can grow and grow properly. Look back in Jeremiah chapter 17 with me and look at verse number 7. Jeremiah 17 look with me at 7 and 8. The Bible says blessed "...is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit." Now, I don't believe that Jeremiah 17 is a passage about finances, but let me make an application about finances out of this passage. My friend, if you will trust in the Lord, you know what the Bible says? You'll be like a tree planted by the water and you will not lack for fruit. You will not lack for increase. Pastor, how can you be so sure of that application? Because uh, Matthew 6.33 says, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto us. What things, what we wear, uh uh, 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 what we wear, what we eat, where we sleep, these things will be taken care of if we learn to trust the Lord, if we learn to do his work, if we learn to give him our heart. What are the evidences that tell us that we're producing fruit for the Lord? How can you tell if your life is producing the right kind of fruit? You'll be planted, you'll be like a tree, planted by waters and even of seasons of drought. You will still, you will not cease to produce fruit. Look at verse 10. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. Jeremiah here tells us, God speaking, I the Lord search the heart. I try the rains even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I want you this morning to understand that while I can't see past your clothing and your appearance, God told Samuel about the children of Jesse. He said, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Everybody look up here at me this morning. I can't see your heart and you can't see mine. But God sees all of our hearts. Whether or not I've given my heart to God, you might be able to look at some evidences and draw a conclusion, but no one really knows except me and God. And No one really knows who has your heart except you and God. My friend, God is like a husbandman or a vineyard keeper, orchard keeper, He walks around to His own and He looks at our hearts individually and He gives us fruit depending on what He sees in your heart. Are you producing fruit for the Lord that is corrupt? Are you an apple tree with canker worms in it? Or are you producing fruit for the Lord because your heart is totally in love with Him? Are you protecting your heart this morning? Has that fence broken down and now you've allowed sin to come flowing in? The problem with your heart, the protection of your heart. Let's move on to the last point, number three. Let's notice the proof of your heart. The proof of your heart. Look back at Jeremiah and turn over to chapter number 29. Jeremiah 29 and look with me at verse number 13. Bible says there, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You ever prayed a half-hearted prayer? You prayed and, you know, the next day you forgot that you were going to pray for a week. You ever done something for the Lord half-heartedly? I know as a boy... My, dad, my mom and dad would give me chores to do. One of the chores I had as a boy was cutting the lawn. When I got into my preteen and teen years, I had to cut the lawn for my dad. And then uh, we moved to a different home, and he got a riding lawn over. Then my job was to rake up the, the grass clippings and carry those into the woods. And I can remember my dad giving me that job, and he'd call me back over after I was done, and he'd say, Richard, you did a half-hearted job. On this shore. I need you to give it your whole heart. My mom would have me do the dusting in the house. And she'd give me a can of pine saw and a nap or, you know, some kind of a a cloth. And she'd have me dust off the piano in our home. And she'd come back and she'd point out areas where I had missed, where I had left globs of pine saw and not properly dispersed it. And she would say, Richard, you did a half-hearted job. You know, what I was trying to do is hurry up and finish. I could go back outside and play, get back on my video games. didn't really want to be doing it. You know, there are a couple of types of Christians that work around the church here. A couple of types of Christians that give to the Lord here. Some of you give with all your heart. Some of you give half-heartedly. The Bible says in James that a double-minded man, James 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Why? Because we're doing things for the Lord that's half-hearted. Half-hearted. Now, David is credited for being a man that sought after God's whole heart. Much of the book of Psalm is David crying out to know the heart of God more. David would be successful in his spiritual life because he gave his heart to the Lord. Again, I want to ask each of you this morning, have you given your heart to Jesus? Does he have your whole heart? Let me give you some gauges this morning to tell how much of your heart the Lord has. Letter A, no investment of your thoughts. Investment of your thoughts. We're gonna, um, um, I'm going to read some scripture for you this morning. You're welcome to try to keep up if you'd like. The references are on the back of the bulletin and, and you can kind of follow along with me there. Um, what do you think about? What do you think about? Wouldn't it be great if we could take all of our thoughts and put them on paper and assign and and categorize them and then put a percentage of categorically what we think about? Wouldn't that be great? Know how much I think about God and and the Lord and how much I think about you know entertainment, how much I think about work, how much I think about my family. Uh, how much I think about uh, sin and sinful things. Wouldn't it be great if we could kind of get that in a data pie, pie chart uh, or on or a bar graph, and then we could work on that? What do you think about this morning? Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 7, he said, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You show me what you think about, I'll show you who you are. Genesis chapter six verse five tells us the state of the world, the state of mankind, right before the flood, right before the destruction of the flood. The Bible says in Genesis 6: five, "And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice there the, the phraseology God chose. It says, "The thoughts of his heart." The thoughts of his heart. In fact, the idea of thoughts and heart are so interwoven in scripture, they're really inseparable. What you think about is where your heart is and what your heart is. You show me what your thoughts are, I'll show you where your heart is. Bible says here about these people, they only thought about evil Non stop. And what did we say earlier? That our heart is deceitful, our heart is desperate, and our heart leads us into destruction. And what happened is that the evilness of their heart, God hated the fact that He even made man, and He sent a giant flood, and He killed them all because of it. Evil thoughts equal equal, equal an evil heart, an evil heart equals a destruction. That is certain. Now, contrast these people in Genesis 6-5 with young David. Now, by the way, I'm giving you two extremes. And I believe most of us in the room fall somewhere in the middle. Psalm nineteen fourteen, uh, David said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation or the thoughts of my heart uh, uh, or, uh, right, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What was David saying? He was saying, Lord... My heart, I want every thought in my meditation or thought of my heart to be acceptable in my sight. He said, God, I want you to look down from heaven and I want you to look at my heart through a moral lens and I want you to put a check mark on every single thought I think as being acceptable and approvable. God, I want my heart to be in line with your heart. David said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Does God have your heart? The proof will be in what you think about. Christian, how much do you dwell on God and the Word of God? How much do you think about the work? that the Lord has given you to do? How much do you dwell on the fact that you are His uh, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works? Does God, His work and His word and His will for your life consume your thoughts? Or does sports or politics or work or family or money making or things or friends or hobbies or your future consume your thoughts? You show me what you think about, I'll show you where your heart is. You see, for many of you here today, you came in and you sat down in church, and what you have going on is you have things that are secular and things that don't belong to the Lord. Uh, They're pushing their way up and through, and you have to push out these things that don't please the Lord and focus in on the preaching. But my friend, the goal is for you to grow to the place that while you're at work, focusing on the task at work, you have thoughts of God that are pushing up and creeping through While you're with your family and you're spending time with your family, you just have to say to your wife or say to your children or say to your friends around you, hey, time out. You see God in this area? You see this, how He's working? And why? Because God is seeping in and seeping through your family time. You see, when you're out and uh, you're doing a a, a chore or you're doing a hobby, maybe you're out fishing or hunting or uh, shopping, whatever it is, you're looking for God in everything and you're looking to do His work and His will and His word. You see, when you are at work, you think about being at church and working, doing the work of God that you have assigned here at the church through the ministry of the church, investment of your thoughts, what has The preeminence of your thought life. I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong about thinking about making money. There's nothing wrong about thinking about your family. There's nothing wrong about thinking about your friends and hobbies and all of the things. Work, all of the things I mentioned. But what has the preeminence of your thought life? Better be investment of your time. How can you tell if God has your heart? Well, is God the number one thing you think about? Is his word the number one thing you think about? Is his will and his work for your life the number one thing you think about? How about your time? How do you invest? Your time. Uh, Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 with me in your Bibles. Ephesians 5. While you're turning there, I'm going to read for you uh, some verses out of the end of James 4. James 4 says, Go to now uh, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. What's James telling these folks here? He's saying, some of you look for money-making opportunities. It's, let's go to this town to make some money, and let's go to this town to make some money, and let's go to this town to make some money. And you have your whole calendar planned around making money. And God says through James to the church in Jerusalem, He says, your thinking is wicked. He said, you ought to say, Lord, is it your will for me to go here? And Lord, is it your will for me to go there? And Lord, how would you have me spend my time? Look at Ephesians 5. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, or that ye walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Can we read verse 16 together? Everybody there, look at Ephesians 5 with me. Look at verse 16. Let's read this verse out loud. Ready? Here we go. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How are you investing your time? Verse 17 says, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know what verse 17 says? It says you need to figure out what purpose God has for your life here on earth, and you need to spend every waking moment that you have available redeeming the time and fighting against evil. Boy, we have time for all kinds of things, but we don't have time for God and His Word and His work. Is your time given to walking with the Lord, or are you too busy? Is your time given to the work of the Lord? Are you redeeming the time? Are you understanding what God's will is specifically for you within His work? if you are uh, always too busy to go to church, if you are always too busy to help in the nursery, if you're too busy to hand out a gospel track, if you're too busy to pray for our missionaries, if you're too busy to reach out to a fellow church member who is hurting, then God does not have your heart. Pastor, how do I know whether or not God has my heart? How are you spending your thought time? How are you spending Your time, letter C, investment of your talents. Investment of your talents. We'll finish out the sermon this morning in Matthew and Mark. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 6 where we began this morning, Matthew 6. And I want us to look at a a word that gets brushed right over generally when we read verse 24. A lot of focus gets put on serving and God and mammon and uh, an ultimatum being given. I want to point out a word that gets brushed over quite a bit. Look at Matthew 6 and look at verse 24. I want everybody there. Everybody who has the Bible. Please uh, take a moment and turn over there. I want us to see this together. All right. I want you. To, when I get to them, I want you to read the third and fourth word of the verse with me. Ready? Here we go. No man can serve. Ready? Some of you can't count. Okay. Third and fourth word of the verse. Ready? Here we go. No man can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You're either serving God or you're serving everything anything anything and everything other than God. You're either building you're either serving your own agenda and your own kingdom or you're serving God's kingdom and God's agenda. No man can serve two masters. Every single person in this room, whether you are special needs, you've been labeled educably slow, Or you have an IQ that's through the ceiling and everything in between. Every single person in this room, you have a God-given talent. And the truth is, you have God-given gifts if you're saved. Are you using these talents for God? Or are you using these talents to grow your own wealth and grow your own cause and grow your own fill-in-the-blank? There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having uh, a wealth. There's nothing wrong with having uh, nice things. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice home. There's nothing wrong with using your talents to get these things. But what has the preeminence in your heart? You see, oftentimes we're busy chasing uh, 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 some pipe dream, some goal, some empty vanity with our talents while the work of God goes unleft and undone. Investment of your talents. You show me where you are investing your talents. I will show you where your heart is. Letter D, and lastly, notice an investment of your treasures. Investment of your treasures. You see now, a younger, less mature version of myself would have preached a sermon this morning out of Matthew 6, and I would have just focused in on these verses right here, and I would have tried to guilt trip you into being more faithful in your giving and increasing your giving giving so that we can accomplish more. Uh, for the gospel calls it, why do the Baptist Church. But the reality is, if your heart's not right, then this won't even matter. Does God have your heart this morning? Look down at chapter uh, 6, verse 19. Now, for those of you, God has your heart, this is easy. If God doesn't have your heart, boy, these verses cause you to cringe a little bit. Look here, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Look at verse 21. Let's read it together. Ready? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You show me how you use your talents, I'll show you where your heart is. You show me how you spend your time, I'll show you where your heart is. You show me what you think about, I'll show you where your heart is. But the marker that God put in Matthew 6 is how you spend your money. You show me how you spend your money, God says, I'll show you where your heart is. Turn over to Mark chapter 12. We'll finish the sermon with an observation that Jesus made while in the city of Jerusalem. Mark chapter 12. Look at the last two verses of the chapter with me. You see, if my heart belongs to God, then I'm obedient to whatever He tells me to do, including what I give to the Lord. Look at Mark 12:42. The Bible says, And there came a certain poor widow, And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. That's less than a penny in today's terms. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. I want you to imagine that you have rich folk who walk up and in their abundance they put in a hundred dollar bill or several hundred dollar bills. They do it in a way that's flashy, gaudy ostentatious, in a way that draws eyeballs. They're putting money into the treasury. This poor widow who had hardly anything, she reaches into her little purse and she takes out two mites, again, less than a penny, and she very humbly drops those in the collection box. And she turns around unnoticed and walks away. But the truth is, while no one else noticed what she gave, Jesus noticed. Now let me ask this question this morning, and I'll be done. What makes her offering different than those who gave a lot? You see, the widow woman gave from her heart. Everyone else gave from their abundance. When that offering plate passes by each Sunday, Wednesday, you drop your portion in. Are you giving out of what's convenient? Or are you giving from a heart that is devoted and loves the Lord? When you show up here at White Oak Baptist Church and you get involved in the work of the Lord, are you doing it with your heart or are you doing it out of a sense of obligation and duty? Who has your heart? David said in Psalm 51 verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O Father. Renew the right spirit within me. Maybe this morning, you need to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, I want to give you my heart anew. I want to rededicate my heart to your cause. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I thank you for your attention. I know this has not been the easiest sermon for everyone to listen to. but I believe it's been a very needed sermon. Your heart is... Deceitful, it's desperate, it's destructive. God's called you to let the Holy Spirit make those changes. You're to put the fence up. You're to focus. You're to bear that fruit. You're to invest your thoughts. You're to invest your time. You're to invest your talents. You're to invest your treasures in the work of the Lord. The invitation this morning is really, really, really simple. Here it is. Does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Only you and God really know that. Or are you busy pursuing things that just really don't matter in the grand scheme of things? How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, the message this morning, I can see that my heart is divided. God does not have all of my heart the way He ought to. Listen, that's a mature Christian that, uh, that can raise their hand to this question. It's an honest Christian that can raise their hand to this question. But how many of you would say, Pastor, the Lord does not have all of my heart? My heart is divided. But I sure do want to give Him my heart. That's you, as you just slip up your hand. Right where you are, be honest. honest. Only God knows. Only you and God know. Will you be honest with the Lord this morning? Does God have all of your heart? Lord, I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts. Convict us. Help us to stop white-knuckling things in our heart that need to go. Lord, may we lay our all on the altar. May we give it all to you. Lord, help our thoughts, our time, our talents, and our treasure to be given over to the work that you've created us to do in Christ Jesus. Lord, stir our hearts this morning in Jesus' name.